the Tech Canada Leadership Standard, hosted by Tech Speaker of the Year and branding expert, Gare Maxwell. Real life stories from leaders spanning the business spectrum. Now more than ever, leaders are shifting through significant decisions under accelerated timeframes with less information and bigger consequences for their companies, for their people, and for the communities that they live in. You're about to learn of the triumphs, failures, struggles, and disruptions through the first-hand account of an industry leader. Join us now for the Leadership Standard. In football, a simple handoff between quarterback and running back is regarded as a simple play, but in business, the generational handoff is a whole lot trickier. Even more so when you're talking about a family business with 20 locations, more than a thousand employees. This company started back in 1978, around the time John Travolta was tearing up the dance floor on Saturday Night Fever and Pierre Trudeau was firmly entrenched as Canada's prime minister. Lee Valley Tools has become one of Canada's best retail success stories and the COO, Jason Tosse, is now working with that second generation of the family and supporting that all important generational handoff. Family dynamics, the challenges of managing change, navigating the retail apocalypse, and following in the footsteps of an iconic founder. This is just some of what we're going to explore today on the Leadership Standard with Jason Tosse of Lee Valley Tools. Jason, welcome to the program. Happy to be here, thanks for having me. And, and as we talked about in the opening, Lee Valley is something that's become a little bit of a retail phenomenon uh, starting in the Ottawa region back in 1978. And your very, very first experience, might've been even one of your first jobs was joining what, at the age of 22, I understand. That's correct. Uh, you could say I've grown up at Lee Valley Tools and I'm uh, lucky to have. And so when people ask you uh, about Lee Valley Tools and how do you explain the magic behind it? Because it's one of those uh, companies and one of those brands that found its niche, but more than anything, found a way to capture uh, you know, loyal hearts and minds. What, what story do you tell, Jason? Well, I would turn that around a bit. Um, growing up at Lee Valley, I was not a woodworker at a young age. I was involved more in sports and uh, this was a job. And um, I was extremely lucky to get in at the right time as the company was taking off. But anytime I spoke to anybody about where I worked, uh, it was one of two responses. I haven't heard of Lee Valley yet, or I love Lee Valley. And um, you start to you know, own that sense of pride as you continue to work through an organization when people use the love word when they reference your company. Now, for those that you know, haven't heard of Lee Valley and they ask me about it, I say, well, you know, we serve uh, woodworkers with you know, incredible tools and we've expanded our business model into other areas in the market uh, promoting people who like to create, whether it's gardening or in the kitchen. And um, essentially, it's about curating amazing products and having wonderful service. People who really share the passion about you know, what you're, they're selling and what the customer is looking for. And I think one of the stories that really captures uh, what separates Lee Valley tools from all the other tools in my uh, 
research before we jumped on the program, I, I found this story about how you manufacture some of your own tools, but some of them are so precise that people in the medical profession have also started using your tools. Tell us about that. Well, Lee Valley, um, Leonard was an amazing individual and uh, he was uh, both Robin and Leonard, uh, his son who's current CEO, had said, we grow the business by listening uh, to our customers and we design by what our customers say. So what ended up happening was early, early on when we could not source hard to find quality woodworking products, we decided to design and manufacture our own. Today, uh, Veritas, which is the manufacturing division of Lee Valley Tools, employs over 160 people and is based right here in Ottawa. And Veritas has become a global leader with respect to hand tools, in particular innovation in woodworking hand tools. The medical spin-off was something that Leonard Lee had decided to do when he was ready to step aside and let Robin take over the business. He took what he had learned from the Lee Valley operating business and decided to apply it to the medical tool industry. Uh, and that's you know, approach to innovation in medical tools. And Kanika was designed and born out of that. And um, Leonard Lee worked with uh, Dr. Bell and they created Kanika tools and they had done that for uh, just over a decade. Legend has it that an Ottawa plastic surgeon was using Lee Valley woodworking knives for surgery that helped launch all that. Jason, there are countless stories about how absolutely committed your customers are to Lee Valley. Uh, but if you don't mind, just share us the one you were telling us about before we open the microphones here, because I think people would be fascinated to hear it. Well, there's quite a few legendary stories uh, over the years uh, with some of my personal favorites. There was a gentleman that said when he passed, he instructed his wife to scatter his ashes across the Lee Valley parking lot. Um, that's always one of our favorites. I think you've accomplished an emotional connection to somebody when that is their dying request. The, um, the We have a, a number where one of the policies Lee Valley has is that when we um, reduce a price on a product, we'll automatically issue a refund uh, unsolicited. And then people generally love to tell the story of how Lee Valley sent them a check for whether it was $7.40 or $10 unsolicited. Uh, it builds trust and credibility within the brand. Uh, that one we hear quite often. Now, tell us a little bit about your story from, you know, you're, you're joining Lee Valley Yours is the classic uh, coming up through the ranks story, Jason, but tell us about how you started and and how things changed for you along the way in terms of leadership and responsibility to the role you occupy now. When I started at Lee Valley, I was just working through um, my undergrad in university here and uh, the job market was pretty tough. And uh, a friend had told me about this, you know, family-run business. And if you, uh, you know, worked really hard through the Christmas rush, picking and packing orders from the uh, the catalog part of the business, it might keep you on. And uh, <laughs> that's how I started. I started uh, seasonally picking orders for uh, the Christmas season for uh, the catalog that we issued. And uh, I was lucky enough. 
know, post rush to uh, earn some recognition for being a fast picker packer. And then um, I, I say I caught a bit of a, a luck wave in that, you know, the company hit years and years of double digit growth. And to my benefit, uh, Leonard Lee was a big believer in for promoting from within the organization and training for the specific skills. He was about attitude and work ethic. Uh, from that point forward, I was able to work through the warehouse operations into logistics and then into general business operations. And then in about 20 years, I worked my way up into senior management. Along the way, I had incredible mentorship through you know the ownership of the company and some of the senior leaders and uh, well well supported i recognized as i you know, progressed along my own personal journey that i had become very emotionally attached to the brand you know to the family uh, they were as i said at the opening of the podcast i've grown up at lee valley tools and i see this is more than just a business it's it's about um you know, maturing individually and professionally. And uh, anytime I felt I needed, you know, to close a, a gap, whether it was in supply chain or business administration, uh, the the company, the family was very quick to support that. And uh, when I needed time for family issues, you know, when our when I got married or our children were first born, I was able to to travel for competitive sports. Uh, the family, once again, was extremely supportive of that. So I've been I've been very lucky when it comes to uh, hitting the right environment of support and development. Help us understand a little bit about Leonard Lee. Uh, he falls into that iconic larger-than-life founder. Uh, I've heard him described kind of as like the Ray Kroc of uh, the custom tool business in Canada. But how would you, you know, for, especially for someone listening? Uh, on this podcast, how would you describe Leonard Lee and what uh, he was all about and his legacy? Well, he was certainly one of a kind. Um, you know, to understand Leonard Lee, you have to understand where he had come from and his roots. Leonard Lee grew up in the Great Depression in a log cabin without power. And there was a tremendous emphasis on work ethic, a community, and learning and education. Um, what was amazing about Leonard Lee uh, when he had passed just over two years ago, is uh, a number of um, a number of media sources had labeled him the ethical capitalist of Canada, uh, and I, I think that description is a perfect match for Mr. Lee's approach to business. He grew up, you know, there was a, a cot in his office. He would be one of the first ones in, one of the last ones out. You know, he would rest in his office as he built the business. He um, insisted on, you know, a principle-based organization that was about respect and doing, you know, the right thing for customers, even when it didn't make financial sense. Uh, he believed completely in, you know, not making money on absolutely everything you do, but making money on the totality of what you do and building trust with your customer along the way. There's so many stories uh, that represent, you know, his journey in building out Lee Valley. One of my favorites, though, was, you know, he said, just be human. He came and spoke to my business class at one point, and uh, he had said, there's nothing you can't learn about business that you didn't already learn from your mother's knee. 
with respect to just doing what's right and, and being honest. Uh, an example of that was in early, early years, when he printed one of the first catalogs, there were pricing errors throughout it, and they were, everything was just priced too low. He needed to send a letter of apology out to everybody that had received the catalog, saying, oh, we've made a mistake, these are the actual prices, and they're higher than what we advertised. They were quite concerned about that. What ended up happening is he had one of the biggest sales responses as a result of the letter. So we recognize you know, just being straightforward and human with people um, builds a sense of trust that actually builds the business at the same time. And that leads to the next question, which is what's happened with respect to what we talked about earlier, the, the shift, the transition into the second generation. Um, we've heard lots of stories about companies that have struggled with that. Jason, can you give our listeners kind of an insider's perspective on what happens when a new generation moves in? The, uh, any leadership change is always difficult because um, the entire organization, you know, falls within the wake of the leadership style. So, you know, Leonard, uh, as you said, was, you know, larger than life, uh, you know, and he drove and grew the business. And, you know, typically the founder and then the following generations, you know, they just don't have that commonality. One grew up in the business, one created the business. So, you know, Leonard uh, was an entrepreneur at heart, a hard worker, and extremely, extremely driven and focused. And um, there was a toughness to Leonard Lee that, you know, uh, if there was a principle-based fight, he was willing to take it. And uh, that is you know, what's built part of our reputation at Lee Valley Tools. Big shoes to fill for generation two. Now, Robin Lee, who is the second generation, you know, he grew up in the business. So he was very close to it. And um, he was in it right from the very, very beginning. So he understood the culture and he understood the way in which the business was intended to run and that it was going to be, you know, values-based, a principal organization and understood and shared much of the learnings that Leonard Lee had along the way to success. Now in generation two, Robin is also very entrepreneurial. Both Robin and Leonard Lee, so Gen 1 and 2, are what we refer to as unbelievable merchants. They're our chief merchants. They love to find product that the market responds to, that falls within you know, the Lee Valley rules. The difference now is you know, the organization is significantly larger. And, you know, my own belief is as organizations grow and they become more complex, the entrepreneurial or chief merchant needs, you know, the support of business administration. And that's the difference, I think, between Gen 1 and 2 is size and complexity uh, and preserving that entrepreneurial spirit as the company continues to grow, but at the same time, not losing your way. What Robin, our second generation leader, has done is he preserves that Lee factor, you know, that original intent, that value proposition of Lee Valley, and he does it very well. Is there anything about this transition into the second generation that surprised you, Jason? Uh, well, I've had the luxury of being kind of in the passenger seat, working for both 
Leonard and Robin through the transition. So I've been extremely close to it. I think my greatest observation was that one leader's network of support is not the others. Meaning that, you know, what worked for Leonard with respect to his team and how he interacted, um, you know, a second generation leader just can't step into that. And I think you see that time and time again, when you see CEOs change over, generally the team changes over with them. Um, but what was interesting for me is, you know, observing, even though both Leonard and Robin were in the business together, uh, one system didn't transfer to the next. And then we had to rebuild a system that worked for the second generation. And uh, that would be the advice or the observation that I would share with anybody that's about to go through this, is don't assume that it's a transferable um, structure. That, that's fascinating and, and very well said. And from the perspective that you've occupied for you know quite a number of years now, Jason, I'd like to answer. I'd like you to answer this two-part question. So here it is: two-part question. Number one: How do you define leadership? And number two: When did you realize you had the skills and capacity to lead? How would I define leadership? Well, um, I think everybody has a different definition based on a different point in time. For me personally, uh, I believe leadership uh, can one, get the most and best out of people uh, in a way that they feel that they're contributing. And they're, I've always said, if somebody is willing to give you a minute of their discretionary time, you're an effective leader. Um, now, there are different models of leadership based on, you know, the type of situation the organization is in. Um, but for me, it would really come down to uh, getting the most out of very talented people and earning their discretionary effort. Of course, there's always the performance, organizational health, and the results that I think are, you know, table stakes or something like that. But that's where I would believe, you know, you've hit an effective leadership level. Now, when did, when did I realize I had the skills for that? I don't think there was a specific point in time. And as a leader, I'm still learning. Uh, years and years ago, as we were working through the generational change, I was pulled into the office and said, okay, you know, we've decided you're gonna be the number two guy. Um, good luck. <laughs> and I think the uh, it was Ian Campbell who was Leonard Lee's number two guy at the time, and he said, "Hope you enjoy it." I wouldn't want that job, which he had obviously for ten plus years. The um, I think it was at that point that I was recognized I had the potential, and that the family uh, would entrust me with you know a very significant responsibility. Um, but it was also at that time. I had a moment of panic because of my emotional connection to the organization and my willingness to want to hit the ground running. Uh, so, you know, I stepped back that evening and thought about it for a little bit of time and decided, you know, took kind of a personal inventory of my skills and what I felt I would need to contribute at the level I should. And it was at that point I 
and decided to return back to school and uh, expand my understanding of business. Even though you know the the, the current leadership at Lee Valley had said they didn't feel it was necessary, uh, they saw something in me. Uh, they felt the judgment and the principle uh, was there. Uh, so I would say that would be the defining point. Uh, there's a point of reassurance, but a point of panic at the same time. Now, if you were to ask me today, am I the leader that I would like to be? I would say uh, that's a lifelong journey. Which brings up another question. And one of the things we really hope to explore here on the leadership standard are those very specific, very emotional moments for, for any leader's journey, Jason, not the least of which is, was there ever that one moment you felt, you know, you were in over your head, you had bitten off more than you could chew? <laughs> That's a fairly rare, uh, fairly current uh, issue. Well, I wouldn't say it, it, it's common and it happens cyclically. Um, I I recall some of the advice I was given is don't feel that every single problem at Lee Valley Tools is yours to solve by one of you know my previous mentors at Lee Valley. And I thought that was good advice. I tend to internalize every single problem. And that creates a tremendous amount of pressure. Um, but at the end of the day, when you're in, you know, that particular seat, that particular role, uh, you're there because you genuinely care and you do take on that pressure of the organization. Um, so I would say that happens on a regular basis where you feel uh, the situation can be overwhelming. Now, what I've learned uh, how to manage that over the years is, you know, with effective planning, taking care of the big rocks, as they say, uh, and looking at the long view, five and ten years, you don't overreact to those pressure cooker situations that may come up throughout the year. So uh, as you expand your planning horizon and recognize, you know, you're going to have to uh, course correct along the way, uh, that tends to manage a lot of the pressure. If you think back, if nothing else, Jason, leadership is all about decision-making. What's the toughest decision you've ever had to make as a leader? I think uh, four years ago, I would have said to you it would be a strategic direction. Um, you know, there's no, there's no perfect forward plan there's the forward plan that you decide uh, is the best fit. But if you were to ask me that question now, having been through, you know, Lee Valley is 41 years old and I'm managing not just the generational handoff between leadership, at 41 years, Lee Valley is going through a complete management succession turnover. I'd say the single greatest decisions that I've been making lately have to do with the replacement of our most senior managers. The top of the house has to be, you know, unified, coherent, and effective. And it is difficult to find senior leaders that, you know, fit both culturally and um, at the same time fit the requirements that you're looking for at this point in time. And for Lee Valley, it's about scaling right now. 
So Lee Valley, 41 years, origins in 1978, it was a lot slower. The business, uh, you know, the pace of business wasn't nearly as frantic as it is today. The question, of course, that I think everyone's wondering about is how are folks like you, and, and there's a lot out there also facing similar challenges, how's Lee Valley dealing with the retail apocalypse? It seems like almost every week we see another major retailer in trouble. Forever 21 was one of the most recent examples, but what are your thoughts on that, Jason, and what you are doing as a management team to address it? Well, the uh, I, I would say it's real. Um, there's debate, you know, there's as many um, North American retailers that are closing, there's record numbers of international luxury retailers entering the market. Um, I just, I, I would sum up the current retail situation as just a level of significant disruption and completely enabled by everybody's cell phone. You know, the cell phone has created a platform for unbelievable disruption in how everybody lives and how everybody interacts in particular in retail. Um, you know, the, long gone are the days that you went into a local merchant who knew your name and, you know, you just settled as a consumer for uh, whatever assortment that was there. Now, you know, the entire world is three clicks away. And uh, thanks to, you know, the, the big, big retailers, um, you know, it arrives tomorrow and returns are seamless. So this level of disruption has forced every retailer to look at their business mechanics and understand, are you still relevant and current? Uh, relevant meaning is your assortment different? Is it still attractive to people knowing they can get anything? And um, the difference is the mechanics is, is your inventory transparent? Can people get what they want? Can it be shipped you know, to their home, to their door? So I, I've always said that there are two parts to retail. There's the, the soul of the company, and then there's the mechanics of the company. And what Lee Valley has done very well is established a very healthy soul and you know the soul by any other name would be your value proposition and what makes you different and what stands behind the brand you know less than one percent of north american companies break the 100 million mark and uh, leonard lee and robin lee and our team have been able to do that which means there's something spectacular about the soul of the organization um, what we're dealing with right now are the mechanics and I think that, you know, the Amazons of the world are forcing all retailers to deal with the mechanics. So if you don't have a strong offer and your retail mechanics aren't good, you know, you're uh, getting sorted out pretty quickly. So what Lee Valley is doing is, you know, we've spent quite a bit of time strategically looking at how we're going to be different and not be transactional. And the retail world has, you know, a spectrum and at one end, it's extremely transactional and at the other end it's extremely niche and value-based we're doing everything we can to play in the value-based area that means having you know extremely knowledgeable staff 
you know, having a, a different feel in our store that is about the passion of what we're buying and selling. Uh, and again, a service policy that protects the brand and makes the customer feel that they can trust Lee Valley Tools. To know Jason Tasse is to know he's also an avid lacrosse player. And I wanted to weave in a little bit of lacrosse, Jason, because I think it might help folks understand your leadership style a little bit better when they know it's been honed on such a competitive playing field. Um, they say there's no better teacher than failure. Is there something you failed at but learned greatly from? Well, there's so many things. <laughs> you, know, um, you use the sports analogy. I, um, I'm a big believer in how sports support business uh, with respect to team dynamics, drive, um, you know, investing time for a long-term goal or an output. Um, you know, in personally, you know, there's been, you know, uh, the, the trials and tribulations of life, you know, you go through them. Um, rejection, you know, cut from teams, cut from teams for reasons which are fair, reasons that are not fair. Uh, you know, gone through a few tragedies at a young age, loss of a good friend. Um, all these experiences, failure and, and, and difficulty, I feel, are the um, the experiences that create what I call wisdom scars. I mean, you have to feel a little pain and suffering to appreciate things a little bit more in life. So I embrace failure to a degree. Um, I joke with the kids that we coach. We hate uh, losing more than we like winning. <laughs> so there's a, uh, there's a motivation to failure. Um, is there one particular failure? Well, um, Lee Valley is an environment where uh, we can make a mistake and it's part of the learning process. We're hard on ourselves, uh, in you know, especially hard on ourselves because uh, we're so customer focused and um, the brand is very, very emotionally held by the staff. Um, but I, I, you know, I see failure as a, as a motivator, quite honestly. You just don't want to do it too often. Um, was there, recent was there, one, uh, yeah, uh, sorry, okay. a recent one. A recent one I can share though is uh, we've launched into our digital transformation, and um, early on, you know, we selected uh, a partner that ultimately wasn't a good fit, and we had to part ways. And um, that was tough. You know, that was a significant level of failure, both on the resource and uh, emotionally within the organization. Uh, so that that that's just a you know a recent very significant one that we've been through and it's prolonged our transformation another year and a half, and uh, you know that's been very tough tough on the people here and uh, tough on all those involved. Is there a signature story when you go back, maybe even before Lee Valley, but a signature story, Jason, where you learned the hard way about leadership, respect, and the value of trust? The ones that come to mind are, are people-related. Growing up at Lee Valley and, you know, working through my own leadership maturity, um, 
some of the best learning lessons were uh, some of my worst people exchange moments. You know, being too directive or not listening, uh, jumping to conclusion and wanting to solve. Um, I'm a fan of uh, feedback and, you know, my collective team about five years ago had said to me, um, you know, lean on your team a little bit more and don't be quick to solve everybody's problems. It's just not working for us. And uh, I appreciated that. Um, I think self-awareness is pretty important. And uh, with each personal exchange that I didn't do well, um, my self-awareness grew with each each round of feedback. Um, to name a specific story, um, it would have involved uh, part of this generational turnover was I inherited long-time senior managers at Lee Valley. So now you've got this young fellow who you know grew up on the uh, warehouse operation side of the business, now responsible for um, marketing executives and IT executives. And uh, I, I I came at it as a point of let, let's let's work together, but um, you know, you're, you're really trying to add value at a young age and with uh, very little experience. And um, there were quite a few exchanges I would have liked to have taken back in those early days. And I thank, I thank that original leadership team because they gave me the feedback that I needed to prepare for where I am now and I continue to get that feedback from my existing team. I know also you're a student of the game. You uh, enjoy uh, your Tech Canada group with Tim Redpath out there in the Ottawa area. You're a reader, you're a learner. Uh, and Jason, I know you're an observer. So when you observe other people who are in leadership positions that are struggling or even worse, failing, what do you see as the most common reason for that happening? I would say it's a, uh, a failure to listen. Um, it's a failure to be open-minded. Those would be uh, the most common observations that I would make. And sometimes, you know, the uh, hubris of success can take over where you've got this great track record and um, you believe that you build confidence with each decision and you build uh, strength in your gut feel. Uh, the tendency is to feel you might have all the answers and that those around you may not add value. And uh, I, I would say from a leadership point of view, uh, no matter how successful you are and no matter how much you trust your gut instinct, uh, don't, don't ever lose that ability to listen and be open-minded, uh, especially, you know, as you're more successful and life, you know, becomes faster and busier and uh, you tend to want to make decisions quickly and move on. That would be the challenge. Jason, one of the things that I find fascinating about Lee Valley is um, the concept of pay slope, where you limit the pay at the highest levels of the company based on what the lowest paid employees earn. When you contrast your compensation strategy 
with companies that seem to, you know, you've heard it before, geez, we can't find good people, or we, we or you see companies where uh, a lot of employees are jumping ship. What can you share about what Lee Valley has, has learned with respect to, you know, retention of top performers? Well, I can just uh, explain the uh, pay multiple a little bit. Uh, so Lee Valley's pay multiple is somewhere between one and one to one to fifteen, somewhere in there. And the average Canadian company is uh, one to one hundred and fifty. So essentially, what that means is the lowest and highest paid are only you know a multiple of fifteen away from each other. Um, so that this was one of Leonard Lee's. Uh, designs for Lee Valley tools is that to maintain a flat organization, everybody moves together. And uh, uh, it, it's fundamentally a very sound approach to business. Um, but it will, it does come with challenges though. So, uh, you know, as a retail organization, uh, as we become larger and larger and the business needs become more and more complex, uh, as you identified, Talent retention and talent acquisition become a challenge uh, in that in that structure. Now we tend to attract a tremendous amount of people who have affinity for the brand. People love Lee Valley and they they did they want to work here. Um, if you know they haven't heard of Lee Valley and uh, as we try to court them, you know they get a sense very quickly that we are a principle-based organization. But I open up every discussion talking about the multiple, <laughs> just so we're very clear. And uh, we either lose them or we continue the dialogue from that point forward. Now, on the retention side, uh, you know, compensation is you, you take away the compensation that's required to be um, competitive within the market. And then it's about uh, how connected the employee is to the organization. And, you know, regardless of our pay multiple structure, uh, I think every company faces that challenge. It's uh, how do you ensure that stickiness that the employee feels to the company is always there. And, uh, you know, one of the things we're going through is this management succession turnover in addition to a digital transformation. So, you know, we have moved about 100 plus people and introduced 50 new roles into Lee Valley within the last 12 months. And one of the greatest challenges through that is that stickiness factor, holding on to your people while they're going through that very painful change management process. So I, um, the multiple is a challenge on the recruitment side. Um, but I believe on the retention side, it's a non-issue. It really has to do with how well the person connects to the organization and what you do as a company to engage them and make them feel that they're really contributing. You've got so much going on in your life. Competitive lacrosse, two boys, Tammy, your wife. Uh, what advice do you have, Jason, for any leader who knows logically it's it's okay to get off the grid for a while and recharge. In, in other words, what's your secret sauce for doing that? I attended a, a leadership retreat with Peter Senge in Stowe a few years ago. 
And it was so far outside my comfort zone. It was three days of reflection and um, meditation. And uh, it was um, a leadership coach that had suggested it. Just given, you know, everything that's going on, trying to uh, demonstrate the power of taking that time to recharge your batteries. Uh, prior to that, you know, I always believed in taking, you know, a few days off here and there, never more than a week, and always remaining connected to the organization. But until I actually took three days to do nothing but to reflect and think, I had this, I'd created this space uh, that it was very hard to describe, but I was actually able to disconnect from everything and think very, very clearly about where I'm at, what's going on. And it kind of relates to my earlier point. You start to expand your perspective beyond the moment, the current pressure, or even your strategic plan. So my advice to people is really, really take the time to unplug. Sometimes it feels like the last thing you need to do, but um, recharging your batteries is exactly what the organization needs. And uh, that boiling frog syndrome, you know, you'll, you may not feel it, but as the uh, complexity and pressure grows, uh, your ability to manage that with all eyes on you uh, needs to be strong. And um, people will take, you know, they'll follow your behaviors for the most part as the rules of engagement. And uh, it's really important that you reset yourself. So uh, my strategy would be as a leader, even if you don't want to do it, do it as an example for your employees and uh, the benefits will be tremendous. How does it help you to be involved in a peer advisory group like Tech Canada? What Those are you know, closed door meetings. It's very private, very confidential, but is there a way you can sort of translate the magic, if you will, of what goes on in the room? There's so many layers to this answer. I, you know, initially, uh, I, you know, I'm a bit of a sponge and an observer, so I really just wanted to continue to learn. And growing up in one organization, listening to others, you know, from various businesses of different sizes and backgrounds uh, was, it was almost like a transference of experience that I didn't have. So that was, you know, my initial hope to gain out of it. In addition to that, I, I really liked the speakers. You know, you were getting um, access to world-class speakers, you know, uh, specialists that you know, literally write the books on uh, management theory and, and ways to cope. So that was another benefit. But I think the greatest benefit was the relationships that I was building with peers uh, who had similar challenges. I mean, one of the issues when, you know, the buck stops with you is you feel all the pressure in the world of the organization, you know, um, as Leonard would say, Robin would say, and I would say, uh, you know, we are responsible for 1,100 families, not a business. And um, all the uh, the members of my tech group also look at it that way. You know, yes, it's a business, but they're responsible for something greater than just the business. And it's really hard to articulate and exchange stories unless you're in that situation. So. Get a lot of like-minded people in very similar situations that lean on each other for support and you know 
the occasional dose of reality um, tendency is, you know, when you're the one in charge is you don't necessarily get all the feedback you should. And uh, this peer group accomplishes both support and providing you the feedback that you need to get. And I, I would add that it doesn't, you know, begin and end with the group. Um, people who have come and gone, those relationships have lasted. Just as an example, I've had uh, one of my previous members come in just two weeks ago to help me with a challenge. He was more than willing to do it. And uh, you build these lifelong relationships with this group as well. Before we wrap up, Jason, we want to go up close and personal. I mean, we can't quite bring people inside a tech meeting because that's all very private and confidential. But what we can do is share what we call the Lipton Pivo survey, inspired by James Lipton from the actor from inside the actor studio and French journalist Bernard Pivo. So this is rapid fire first response. Jason Tosse, are you ready? I am ready. Here we go. What is your favorite word? Resilience. I'll get better. What is your least favorite word? Um, coddling. <laughs> what turns you on? A challenge. What turns you off? Repetition. What sound or noise do you love? Laughter. What sound or noise do you hate? Awkward silence. What is your favorite curse word? Four, five, six, which I say to my kids that I coach. What profession other than your own would you love to attempt? Oh, um, a professional football player. What profession under no circumstances would you ever not like to do? Would I ever not like to do? Po politics. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear the welcoming committee say when you show up at the pearly gates? <laughs> Great to see you. <laughs> Jason, before we wrap up, what's the absolute best, the best advice in business or life that anyone's ever given to you? Well, I'll go back to uh, a very simple one that uh, one of my profs at Georgia Tech told me. And he said, uh, work smart, no, sorry, work hard, keep smart, and do a good job. You won't go wrong. And do you have, by chance, a personal creed or motto, like the four or five words that you absolutely live by? Don't get outworked. Jason, I, I suspect that has a lot to do with your exploits on and off the lacrosse field, but tell us a, a little bit about Lee Valley and for people who want to get a hold of you, uh, maybe even want to ask you questions about this podcast, but 
what can you tell us uh, in terms of contacting you and what's on the horizon for Lee Valley? Well, a little bit about Lee Valley. Um, we have just launched uh, our new website and have completed our digital transformation. So, uh, you know, it was, it was a long overdue requirement, but we're very excited about it and we have quite a bit of work to go. Uh, Lee Valley is positioning now for the next 40 years. And uh, as much as we are focused on our woodworkers and gardeners, we're also retargeting younger generalists. So people who have this desire in a digital world to uh, work on analog things, you know, with their hands. As far as um, I go at Lee Valley Tools, I am very reachable. Uh, you can contact me anytime and my email address, uh, which has not changed in 20 years and will not change for the next 20 years, is jtasse at leevalley.com. Jason, thank you so much for doing this. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much to Jason Tasse from Lee Valley for joining us today. And if you want to know more about the kind of groups that Jason and other high-level executives are involved with at Tech Canada, check out the website www.techtec-canada.com. So what was it that Jason spoke of today on the Leadership Standard that made you stop and think? I think one of my biggest takeaways was this idea that when you have generational uh, transitions, don't assume that the people currency that the founder had automatically goes to the next generation but what was yours we'd love to hear your thoughts and you can share them with me personally my email gar g-a-i-r at garemaxwell.com if you enjoyed the leadership standard feel free to share with others in your online and social networks so that we might inspire someone else to find new new ways to raise the standard of leadership uh, in both business and life Thanks for listening.